We are in our Missions Month series, and uh, every year we have May as Missions Month, right? And it's a time, in case you don't get what Missions Month is, because you might think, well, Missions Month is where you bring missionaries in. No, we bring missionaries in all year round. Missions Month is a time when we ask God, where we take four weeks, or this, this year we're actually going to extend a little bit into June, um, just because of our book has five sections that we're going through. Um, so we ask God to show us to open up our hearts and our eyes and our minds to what he's doing around the world, and then we ask him a question. We say, God, this is a corporate question, but it's a corporate question based on our individual responses. That we say to God, God, how do you want me as an individual to be involved in missions for the year? Meaning, how would you want me to support financially missions for the year? He may be also calling you to say, go in, go in the mission field, we'll, we'll help you with that. But one thing we know is some are sent and some are senders. And the vast majority of people are senders and we send those people. One way we send them is we enable them to go through our financial support. And so May is a time when we ask the Lord, how would he want us to be involved in supporting faith promises? And we do something called, uh, through World Missions, we do this thing called faith promises. Where we make a commitment, we're going to actually receive them at the end of the service today. I've um, been telling you that for a few weeks, the end of the service today, we're going to come and bring our faith promises forward and, and put them on this table um, where we say, this is what I feel God wants, not what Pastor Mark wants me to do, what God wants me to do for the coming year to support the missions program of this, of this church, which then gives all that money away to different missionaries um, and different, in different uh, areas of need that we, we strategically try to say, how do we invest this money so it'll do the best good around the world? And this year, as we have our missions month, I really felt compelled to have a, a kind of a different kind of a theme. That the theme this year is it starts here, meaning it starts here at home. And it's different that because instead of looking at what God is doing in some far off place in the world, which we normally do, you know, we'll bring Alan, Steph Kinnanen in here, and they'll talk about what's going on in Tajikistan and say, well, you can't tell anybody what I'm doing because if they find out, they'll kill me. And we all go, oh my goodness, this is amazing, people live like this. Or Carol Fiegelson we had a while back, who's a, you know, a, you know, a Wisconsin person, a former RN from Stevens Point, who said, I'm willing to go over to Myanmar. Before that, she was in Cambodia. She said, I'll go there, I'll, I'll help teach and develop. And we bring them in and we're amazed at the things that they, that they encounter and they go through. But what we are doing this year, this month a little different, we are looking right here in our own backyard. We're asking God, God, what are you up to here, and how do you want us to be involved? And that's what these two secret weapons are going to be about. We're going to get to those near the end of my sermon today, um, and they're going to help us do a better job of doing a better job at home. Now, um, this year, um, why, why do we have to do that this year? Because... I don't think churches often spend a lot of time thinking about their own backyards. And the reason is because we pretty much have always thought that things are all right at home. At home meaning here, we live in Ozaki County, you know, we don't even lock our doors a lot of times. Now, if you're a thief, or you know a thief, don't tell them that, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, we don't even lock our doors. Right at home we go, life's okay right here in Ozaki County, and we're living in Wisconsin, and it's safe, and it's, the churches are everywhere, and we've always just thought America has got a strong church, and it's got a predominantly Christian culture, so we often don't spend a lot of time looking at what's going on at home. But you need to understand something. 
the times are changing. This is not what it was even a few years ago. I want us to think this morning about our spiritual reality a little bit. What's the truth about what's going on? Matter of fact, I talked to a man recently who wrote a book um, entitled The Neighboring Church. And in his book, he has a bunch of stats. Matter of fact, some of these stats I'm going to use in a minute come out of his book. And I talked to him. And I said, you're saying what I've been saying for 20 years. And I said, when I say it, you know what I hear from my contemporaries? Mark, you're negative. I told him that. I said, I hear you're negative. And, oh, Mark, if you're going to build a church, you've got to be positive. And I said, well, I try to be positive of what Jesus can do. But I want to be, I said, I'm not negative. I'm just honest. I'm real. I look at the world around me and I see the reality. And, and a lot of times we, we like to do something. We like to be the ostrich with the head in the sand. Matter of fact, we know of a Christian man we talked to one time, not in our church, and talked about the reality of what's going on. He goes, well, I just choose to be an ostrich with my head in the sand. And I'm going, you mean you recognize it? You choose to do that? Yeah, it's just easier to live with my head in the sand. Well, the reality is if we look at the world around us, spiritually, we're not doing very good. You know, we live in North America, which is the only continent in the world where Christianity is shrinking. Christianity around the globe, so we've got to put some context, Christianity around the globe is doing awesome. The church is expanding like never before. It's amazing what God's... When we were in Cambodia as missionaries... Cambodia had gone from almost no Christianity to about 4% Christian in, in just a matter of 20 years. Churches popping up all over. People coming to Christ. Water baptisms all the time. The church is doing great in a lot of places. But if we look at the reality of Christianity in America, it's not doing very well. Let me, let me share some statistics that, ought to, that instead of just saying big numbers, let me talk about what's really happening with our with the generations of America. Because you know what? I'm, I'm 53. And you know what was really disturbing to me about this when I went and I saw these numbers? They use my age as the bottom edge of the old people. I'm like, come on. Make it 54. Put me at least in the next age down. But they put me in the age of the oldest people in the, in the category. So a lot of you are in the older people. So guess what? Our perspective on life is viewed as if we're in that group. Now listen to this, this group. The oldest group, and I want us to primarily look, the other stuff's important, you know, less than half a church has had one person by conversion. That's true of the Assemblies of God even. Less than one half our churches will see one water baptism per year in America. That, that's, I can't believe that. And that 78% of church growth is just people going from church to church. So you'll go, but what about church Z down road? What about Portview? You go, what about Portview? We're growing and we are and our church is full and we just look at, we just expanded 35% in our sanctuary space and it's already filling up. Okay? That's a good thing. I'm happy about that. But we know this, that as a whole in America, almost 80% of all church growth is simply these people leave this church and move to that church. But this bottom, these bottom four categories are the ones that just make me um, not sleep at night. Because this is reality. This isn't negativism. This is reality. This is just truth. That of age 53 and older, so me and older, 65% of us are Christians in America. So six, 65 out of 100 of people my age say, I'm a Christian, I'm serving Jesus. But here's how our culture is changing. 35 to 53... Only about half of that amount of Christians, 35%, claim. There's people saying, and you know, you and I all know people who say they're Christians, but there's no evidence 
you know, that they are. So these numbers are people actually who claim to be Christians. So what's it, what's the real number? So 35%, age 35 to 53, so the kids of that 53 and older, so my kids, um, you know, now I guess they're in the next group down, but so that 35 to 53, th- that they're still 35%. But then my age kids, and Brett, you're even in the one below that, but my age kids, Josh is 24, only 15% of American kids Josh's age, 15 out of 100, say they're Christians. This isn't saying they're, joined, they're part of the Assemblies of God. This guy's not an Assemblies of God guy who wrote the book. He's an evangelical church of a pastor in Colorado. This isn't our organization. This is America. That Josh's age, just graduated from college, only 15% of his peers make any claim to be Christian. But then the next group down, Brett's age and Miranda's age, down to, and they start at six because they know before that you couldn't even have a choice in the matter. You would be old enough to be able to say, I make a decision to serve Jesus. So that group, Brett's age and below, 4%. That say, in America, that they're Christians. If that doesn't make us kind of say, we better steer the ship. Because you know what? I hope to live for a couple more decades Maybe three, you know? Um, I don't know. But at some time, that top group is going to be gone. And then this next group is going to be the ones in, in, in my age. And only 35, so only, only a third of them are going to be Christians. And what's going to happen to our, to our, our own backyard? This is our reality. We learned two Sundays ago, um, a, kind of about statistics, when Josh um, Ernst was here from Chi Alpha, and didn't Josh do a great job speaking about the reality of college campuses? That was that was that was awesome. Matter of fact, the book we switched our book we give to our graduating high school students to the book he recommended. So that book they got, we always gave a different book on, on, on not wasting your life. You have a spiritual plan for your life, but he said this is the book to get. So we went and got that book um, for everybody. So he gave us a number that on the college campuses, so when I use Josh as an illustration, and I said he's in a 24 to 35, and there's 15% Christian, remember the number he said on American college campuses, what the percentage of people who self-identify as Christians. So it's not even saying how they live, they just would fill out a form saying I'm a Christian. About 3 three to 4%. 3 to 4% on our college campuses are Christians. Now let's put that in perspective for a minute. When Suzanne and I were, were missionaries, and I saw this a minute ago, missionaries in Cambodia, when we left there, the percentage of the whole nation, was, and they were all first-generation Christians, because Christianity had just been introduced, about 4% Christian. So you think about this, if, if I told you today, hey, you know, and Brett and Miranda hope to go back to, to go to Cambodia as missionaries someday, and they're going to go, and you're going to go, oh man, we're going to pray for you, you're going to Cambodia, and I've lived in Cambodia, and it's a, it's, it's a challenge. I was thinking of other words, but it's a challenge. We're going to pray for you, and you're going to this place where there's no believers, and it's going to be dark, and oh, spiritual warfare. Friends, the same percentage of lostness exists on our college campuses right now. If your kids were going to Cambodia, you'd pray for them every single day, and you'd be like, oh my goodness, I've got to pray for my kids. We've got to have the exact same intensity sending our kids to our college campuses in America. That's the reality of what's going on in America today. Let me give you another statistic. 
According to, this is total population. This is not dealing with availability of the gospel, because in America the gospel is available. But according to the total population, percentage of people who are a, a total gross number of people who do not, who say they are not Christians. So in a population of a nation, so we have over three, like 330 million people in America, of the people who do not claim to be Christians in America, that number of people qualifies us as the third greatest mission field on the planet. You take total amount of people, not percentages, but total amount, just a mass of people who say they are not Christians compared to every other nation in the world. It makes America the number three most amount of people who don't know Jesus on the planet. You don't have to go overseas to find a mission field. Only China and India have more people who do not follow Jesus. You say, okay, this is all big and global and college campuses, but I live here. I want you to think about this for a second. How about your family? Moms, dads, children, aunts, uncles, cousins. Think about your family. How many are actually followers of Jesus? Think about that for a minute. How many are not followers of Jesus in your family? How about your place of employment? Do you ever feel like you are the only one following Jesus? Brett's working at Bemis right now. And he's not real impressed with the spiritual, um, the spiritual condition of most of the employees. So he's been asked since he's been there, how long have you worked there? Seven or eight months. If, he'd get, if he would get an online license so that he could marry two of the people, and he's been asked if he would go to another person's house and spiritually bless their home. Because these are people who live in Sheboygan County, and Ozaki County, and Washington County, and they have no spiritual connection in their life. That they work with a guy and they see and they go, there's something different about you. And I don't know what it is, and he probably openly talk, with, probably strategically, about faith. And they're going, would you do my wedding? Would you come and pray over my home that I just bought? Think about the place you work. Do you ever feel like the only one who's following Jesus? Maybe you are the only one. So we need to deal with this reality. People can call it negative or pessimistic, but I talked to the author of the book that, that charts out of him, and I said to him, yeah, I, I get kind of tired of being called a pessimist. And he goes, yeah, us realists get tired of that. But he said, but this is still what we have to deal with. This is reality. Everybody else can put their heads in the sand and dance on the, sink, the, the, the deck of the sinking Titanic and act like it's all right until it sinks. But I don't think God wants us to do that. Does he want us to be worried? No. We still live our lives in the fullness and the goodness and the glory and the wonder of God, but we understand that we got a, we got a great opportunity for us right here, that we live smack dab in the middle of a very real mission field. So I want to think about that for a second. Why is that the case? Why is Christianity growing everywhere else in the world? Why is Christianity thriving in, in destitute, poor Cambodia that's, that's steeped in thousands of years of idol worship. Why is it growing there right now? And why, but, but why is it not growing here? What's the problem? Why are there so many that don't know Jesus in America? Well, let's think about some possible reasons. 
Could it be a lack of churches? Could that be the right problem? There's a lack of churches in America. Do me a favor once, if you've ever done this. And I tried to get a picture of this, and I, I looked everywhere and, online. I couldn't get it. I could get it for other cities, but I couldn't get the picture I wanted, and I just didn't have time to get down there. Drive down to Milwaukee. Go through the market interchange south on, it's still 94 and 43, and what, what's that bridge you go to? It's not the Hone Bridge, the, other, the one that's on, on 94. That bridge, whatever it's called. You go across that bridge and look to the west and to the south. Look at the skyline. You know what you see across the entire skyline of Milwaukee? What do you see? Church steeples. Steeple, 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 steeple. It's amazing how many old church steeples you see in Milwaukee. Matter of fact, the first thing that struck me when we flew to Cambodia for the first time that made me go, hey, Toto, we ain't in Kansas anymore, is we dropped into Phnom Penh and all you saw was, um, first of all, no church steeples. You saw all the Cambodian, um, can't think of the name, the temples. <laughs> you don't get on that with me. <laughs> All the Cambodian temples um, lined up across this whole city, but not a church steeple in sight. Milwaukee, it's also, is it, could it be that there's not enough churches in, in America? I don't think that's the problem. How about this? Is there a lack of resources here in America? So we don't have enough Bibles, we don't have enough books about Jesus, we don't have enough podcasts and internet access and, and other people who know the Lord that could tell you, is it a problem of, of resources in America? I don't think so. We have more resources than anybody, anybody in the world, on the, in, on, the, on the planet. Matter of fact, there's all kinds of places in the world where Christianity is illegal, and the people that are pastors don't even own a Bible. Who in here owns at least five Bibles? Yeah. Almost every one of us. Who owns at least one Bible? You know, every one of us. And some book about Christian marriage or something. We all have incredible resources. So it's not a problem of lack of resources. How about this? Is it a problem? Is the problem a lack of money? That Christianity is not growing here because we don't have enough money. Do you know we spend more money in America every year on dog food than we do on global missions? Way more. Way more on dog food than we do on taking the gospel around the world. Is it a lack of money? No. The, the numbers change a little bit, but it's something like this. We have like 4% of the world's population and two-thirds of all the wealth. Now, we understand um, article recently about how like 10 families have like half the money in the whole world. So America's the richest nation and a couple of people have like all the money. But as America, the average person, we have way more in resources. So it's not that America lacks money. How about this one? I thought this could be the, this, I think I've got the answer. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. A lack of concern from God. The reason that America is, Christianity is shrinking and is growing in the rest of the world is because God doesn't care about America anymore. Is that possible? You know how I know it's not possible? I talked to him this morning. He told me he cares about us. His word tells me he cares about us. Tons of transformed lives in this room tells me he cares about us. So it can't be that God's not concerned with America anymore. So what's the problem? I think this is the problem. This is my belief. I don't know if anybody else would agree with me. And I'm going to use it, the terminology based on the book we've been reading, 
becoming a contagious Christian. I think the problem is this. It's a lack of high-potency Christians, and we'll explain that in a little while, if you haven't got it yet. But a lack of high-potency Christians engaged in God's mission of seeking and saving the lost. That's what I think the problem is. I'm not saying, I was explaining, I'm not saying this in a condemning way. I think we just don't, we just don't get it. A lack of high-potency Christians engaged, and we've been talking about the last couple of weeks what high-potency means. A lack of high-potency Christians engaged in God's mission, engaged in God's mission of seeking and saving the lost. See, I'm tempted to say that the problem is, is that our society has gone wild. And that's the problem. It has gone wild, hasn't it? Right? But here's the newsflash. It always has gone wild. It's been crazy forever. You think we have it bad? In the day of the Apostle Paul, look at what Roman culture was like. It was insane. It was, it was the most hellish culture on the planet. Much more than we are. Idol worship was crazy. That worship was so messed up that, that, um, that temple prostitutes were considered an act of worship. That was the real world they lived in. So it can't just be that our world is gone wild. But this is the truth I know, even though our world is gone wild. This is why I don't believe it stands. That that's, that's, that's the reason. Because no matter how dark the darkness is, a little bitty light still shines and dispels the darkness. Christians still can shine in the darkness, and the light of Christ still sets people free. So I think the reality is, it's a lack of high-potency Christians engaged in God's mission of seeking and saving the lost. Now, what am I not saying by that? I'm not saying that Christians don't care. That's not what I'm saying at all. Matter of fact, I think you care deeply, especially about your family and friends. I think you care deeply about that, especially about your children. I've talked to so many of you who we cry together because your children have gone astray. I don't think it's that you don't care. I don't think that for a second. What I'm saying is that most people who are Christians have either been lulled to sleep into thinking that everything's fine or will just work out all right, let my kids make their own decisions, or they have been distracted from being personally involved. I'm not saying they don't, they don't think their church is involved. I'm saying personally involved in the most important outflow of their spiritual life which is that of sharing what they have found in Jesus with another person who has not found it, found him yet. So, think about this for a moment. Were you fairly busy this past week? Any of you busy last week with work and school and church and sports and kids? Yes! I bet you a bunch of you were really busy last week. I was busy. Now think of this. Be honest, it's self-evaluation. This is not criticism. This is just to help us. Can you think of one time that you thought of your relationship with another person this last week as an avenue toward introducing them to Jesus? Now, I'm not asking you if you prayed a prayer for them to receive Christ as Savior. Not at all. Simply, did you intentionally do something to bring another person one step closer to Jesus this past seven days? Did you actually earnestly pray for someone's salvation? 
Or did you intentionally invite someone over for dinner just so you could be kind to them to reveal to them that somebody doesn't know the Lord what Christian kindness looks like? Or did you take time to talk to your neighbor and ask how they're doing and really listen instead of driving in your driveway, hitting the open button, driving in, hitting the close button, and letting that garage door close behind you so that you didn't have to talk to anybody? What did we do? My guess is that not many of us intentionally did anything to bring another person one step closer to Jesus by offering them our time or our kindness or our compassion. That'd be my guess. I'm not sure I did. I'm not sure as I looked at the last seven days that I did intentionally. I, I kind of did um, at, at Home Depot with a guy because I had to get this box that was under here. And I told him I needed it for a sermon illustration. And we talked a while. He started telling me scriptures that he had memorized. And we talked a little bit. And I'm not sure if he was a believer or not. So I thought that would be about as close as I could get to saying in the last seven days. the last seven days I've been really busy like a bunch of you have been. See, I spend a lot of time in the last seven days preparing to teach and preach. I spent a lot of time this last week preparing this message. Getting all the stuff together, making sure the slides are all ready, all this stuff. I spent a lot of time wrapping up this renovation project. Matter of fact, if everything goes on, on, on uh, the way it's supposed to be, next week when you show up, the cafe floor is going to be polished concrete. So me and, me and another guy were here yesterday pulling off all the registers and pulling all the baseboard that was just installed back off. Um, did that yesterday during the day. So I spent a lot of time this last week working on this renovation project, dealing with people and bids and all that stuff. I spent a lot of time with other Christians from Portview this last week, including my own family and, and some of you. But did I intentionally do anything to bring another person one step closer to Jesus? If not, why not? Why didn't we? Either... It's because I'm lulled to sleep thinking that the people around me are okay and it just doesn't matter that I drive in the driveway and don't say hi to don't go talk to my neighbor. Or I'm just distracted. I'm just distracted. And my guess is that's the answer. I'm distracted with a hundred other things. Well, what if we realized that while we were doing those hundred other things, there are opportunities to bring people one step closer to Jesus. I'm not saying change your whole world. I'm saying what if we realized that while doing those hundred other things, in that, in that situation there were opportunities to bring another person one step closer to Jesus. In the book, many of us have been reading, and a lot of you have been, and I saw people this morning before church saying, I'm catching up, reading their book, the book Becoming a Contagious Christian. If you haven't got it, get it still. Well, in that book, we're seeing that this can be done effectively by thinking about a simple formula. And that's the formula. Now, can anybody help me say what it is? Because I said to somebody a little while ago, hey, I was pretty impressed. Everybody said what the formula was. They said, well, the answers were on the screen. That was written out what they were. So here's a little different this time. So what is HP? High potency, meaning you live a life that displays the reality of Jesus. High potency plus, what's CP? Close proximity. In other words, I rub shoulders with people who don't know Jesus yet. Plus CC. What's CC? 
clear communication. I've given some thought to how I can explain the gospel. And if I have those three things, it will result in what's MI. Maximum impact saying somebody's going to come to Jesus. That if we have highly potent lives um, and we spend time with other people who don't know Jesus and we've given some thought about how to explain the gospel message, that's a big one. We've given some thought, put some energy into learning how I can explain the gospel message to somebody. Then we'll become high impact people. In other words, we'll some people in through the reality of our lives will come to know Jesus. Now Jesus himself Basically, so that, you know, the author of that book, Bill Hybels, didn't come up with it on his own. He used the illustration of Jesus talking about salt and light and how that comes out of that. But, but I think there's another way that Jesus himself really says the exact same thing. Jesus has the exact same message as that, I think, in our theme verse for the month. So the theme verse we've been looking at every week, Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 says this. You, you should be able to quote it by now. You will receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now let's think about this. Those words are Jesus' last words to his followers. Just before he ascended into heaven, he looked at his followers and told them what he wanted their future to be about and how it would be possible. And he spoke these words. You shall be my witnesses. Look at what he says here. First he says in it, he says, you, um, you will need to live, high, be high-potency people. You go, I don't see that in that verse anymore. You will need to be high-potency people. Think about this. That's what being spirit-filled is all about. He said, you'll be my witnesses after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What is being spirit-filled all about? The reason the Holy Spirit has been given to us, to you and to me, is to change us from the inside out. To transform us into the likeness of Jesus. The Holy Spirit within us, if we cooperate with His activity, makes us loving and kind and compassionate. All of those things that reveal Jesus to a hurting and a lost world. So if we'll structure our lives around engaging with the Holy Spirit's activity, which is what Suzanne talked about last week, which I must say, you did a wonderful job. And my wife, I don't have to say that, but you did. Talked about how do I live like Mary? How do I live a life of being engaged with Jesus so the Holy Spirit can change me? If I will do that, then I will be developed into a high-potency Christian. Then in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you will be his witnesses. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you shall be my witnesses. It doesn't say, and pastor shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he shall be my witness. Jesus is saying, you and I will be the people who interact with those who don't yet know him. Friends, that's another way of saying close proximity. We'll live in close connection with people who don't yet know Jesus. And then Jesus said in Acts 1.8, and you will witness. In other words, you will tell others about who Jesus is and what he has done for you. That's clear communication. But then Jesus adds something in Acts 1.8 that Hybels doesn't have in this. He said, then Jesus says, and it all has to begin in your own backyard. You go, he says that there? It's exactly what he says. That's why he says, Jerusalem first. Those folks lived in Jerusalem that he was talking to on that day. And Jesus says, it starts here. 
Yes, there is important. Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. But it must begin at home, is what Jesus is saying. It must begin here. Missions begins in your own backyard. Friends, your neighbors can be just as lost as someone in the Sudan. They're either lost or they're not. They can be just as lost as someone on a college campus. And if we are ever going to send people to reach all of those in distant lands, which, by the way, some people will say, well, why should you even worry about those people? We're such a mess here. Let's worry about only here. Jesus in this text in Acts 1.8 says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He says right here, you will, my responsibility put upon my church is that you will take the message all around the world. But if we're going to do that effectively, take it around the world, then as a church, we do a pretty good job of sending people all around the world. But if we're going to do that effectively, then we need a strong and growing and giving base at home. So reaching there is absolutely dependent on being strong here. Because if we're not strong here, we don't have a base that's strong, and we're not growing, and we're not giving then we, we can't go there. So we want to be attentional about reaching people in our own backyards first, and from that base we take the gospel around the world. Now, would you like me to reveal what's in these boxes? The two most important secret weapons any of us can use to accomplish the task of reaching people in our own backyards? Would you like me to show you what these secret weapons are? Brett, I need your help up here. I'm going to set this one aside first. This is the second secret weapon. Come over here with me. And we are going to reveal, right here, there's a little handhold somewhere, in, right here. And there's one over here. We're going to lift this straight up, and we're going to carry it and put it on the floor right there. Hold on, hold on, i got to find my little holes. One, two, three, up! Okay. Secret weapon number one is something that almost every single one of you already own. It's a grill. Because reaching people from Jesus is as simple as getting some Johnsonville brats. Because when you make Johnsonville brats, who comes running? Charlie Murphy. Remember the old commercials? Everybody comes running when you cook Johnsonville brats, right? And so, I'm going to give these away in a minute. Reaching someone is simple as putting Johnsonville brats on the grill and inviting on purpose your neighbor or your friends over. But what do we usually do? Usually we invite all our Christian friends over. Matter of fact, this afternoon we have our connect group. All a whole bunch of fun Christian people from this church, and that's good and that's right. But the next time... Maybe not for your connect group, but it could be your connect group. Invite some friend over with your Christian friends who does not yet know Jesus. And listen to me. Especially those of you who have been Christians for a long time, or the opposite, those who are brand new. When you invite them over to eat brats, don't preach at them. Say this with me. Don't preach at them. Don't preach at them. Here's what I want you to do. And I said I was going to say it. It's written in my notes. Just, ladies, what did you do this weekend? Just shine. 
I don't know why I put that in there. Just shine. It's written in my notes. Just shine. That's all you do. Allow the love and the grace and the kindness of genuine Christianity to just purvey your entire time together. Let someone experience real and genuine Christianity. Now, who would tell me, I got 12, a party pack. Johnsonville original brats. I had, they weren't frozen, but I had to freeze them because I had to let them out here for a little while. Who would tell me that if I gave them this pack of brats, they will invite somebody who doesn't know Jesus over and just shine with them as they eat some brats together? Who wants some brats? Okay, the first hand came up back, way back here. Candy was the first. I'm going to put in a bag so you don't get wet. So I want us, I want you to tell me, give her a hand for saying she's willing to shine for Jesus. Gonna invite someone, it could be family members, friends, somebody to your house and just shine. Just, and you know what you're doing? You're building a bridge. So you have an opportunity somewhere down the road to earn the right to tell them about Jesus. The grill simply symbolizes that we can find ways to rub shoulders with people who don't know Jesus and can build a bridge of a relationship that might give you a chance, might give you a chance to talk about Jesus to them. Your grill might be a boat, or your grill might be a ball game, or your grill might be participating in a, on some other activity. Whatever could give you an opportunity to invite people into your life that don't yet know Jesus and shine in front of them, and if the opportunity avails itself, then clearly communicate the gospel. If they show resistance, stop! But if they open the door, you let them go. Because guess what? God made them in such a way. Here's what you understand. If you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus, you need to understand God made you in such a way that nothing else can satisfy your life other than Jesus. You can try everything on the planet. Matter of fact, I think God lets us a lot of times to say, that didn't work, that didn't work, that didn't work. He goes, because he's the only thing that works. And just, if the opportunity comes, tell them what God has done in your life. Are you ready for the second secret weapon? This one's a little different. We're almost done here. I know we got to get on to the next phase. I'm getting, I'm getting the, the clock look. Two minutes over. I need somebody to come up here. Josh, come up here real quick. I want you to tell everybody what's in this box when you look inside it. Ready? What do you see in this uh, box? Ready? Go. And who do you see? Me. You. Here's the next secret weapon. Thanks, Josh. The next secret weapon is you. That's the secret weapon. The next secret weapon is you. You see, the Holy Spirit has a purpose in, in filling you. That's what Acts 1-8 says. He fills you and He saves you and He helps you grow in Christ's likeness so that He can minister through you. The Holy Spirit hasn't been given to the church for some type of personal pleasure, some source of spiritual holy goosebumps. That's been one of the problems of, of Pentecostalism. They think the Holy Spirit's job is to make us have an experience. Now, I'm glad I can experience God by the presence of the Holy Spirit. But He has a purpose to save and to transform us and then act through us to save and transform other people. So you are God's secret Weapon. He dwells in you by His Spirit. His power and His wisdom is resident in each 
one of you. You are God's secret weapon to reach people here and then send people there. Does that make sense? Who's the secret weapon? You. Every one of you. Now, I've got to cut this short. I've got to end by receiving faith promises, and I'm three minutes over. So, um, I just want to summarize this way. I believe that God in 2017 had us do It Begins Here, It Starts Here, because he wants to have us add a dimension to our missions strategy. Up till this time, you know what we've done? We've financially supported missions all around the world, and then we've assumed it would get done here just on our own. And what the numbers tell us is that's not happening. So what I believe is we're supposed to increase our missions giving. I don't believe for a second we're supposed to decrease what we do around the world. But I believe we're supposed to increase our spending, and that spending is supposed to go to doing missions at home. So things like Chi Alpha, college campuses, and, and Teen Challenge, which will be here next week, and doing things like City on a Hill, which is reaching inner city Milwaukee. But also, God is going to give us strategic ways of literally investing resources right here in our community. You know one of the ways I think God wants us to do it, if we can raise the money? I think God wants us to think of people... People who particularly live in apartment complexes in our area. That if a person will live in an apartment complex from our church, that we'll give them a stipend. We'll give them some resources and say, this money is for you to reach, to, 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 to reach out to your whole apartment complex. It doesn't have to be a car. It might be in a neighborhood. But God's going to say, here, we're going to give you some resources. We're literally going to say, here, we will buy you a cooler full of Johnsonville brats and soda, and you have a party. I used to invite people over, some Christian people and some non-Christians. We're going to resource it. We, you know what? You know what you do with your missions money that goes overseas? You know what they do? You know what the PRKs do in Ukraine? They buy brats and soda and invite lost people over. And we say, God, that's awesome. We're doing missions. I think we do the exact same thing here. The Lord's been saying, you know what, Mark? We've assumed that America's just going to get done. It's not getting done. So I believe God wants us to increase our mission support. So we come up with strategic ways in 2017... As strategic as all of us are, as, why, as the witty wisdom of the Spirit is going to speak to us about ways that we can invest money. Matter of fact, there's a number. I've never said this before, ever in missions. I believe we're supposed to increase our giving by 25%. Matter of fact, because of this, Suzanne and I are increasing our support here by one-third. To say, you know what? We've got to reach at home. You know what? So the people we're going to add are going to primarily be home missionaries. That we're going to start, And we're going to figure out how to, how to do it in our local city, that all the times we say, well, we can't do it because we can't afford it. We're going to use money from our missions budget, a portion of it, to do missions locally right here. So we're going to end this way, and I know it's, take out your faith promise cards, and ushers, you're here with them. Also, if anybody needs a faith promise card, just raise up your hand, and they will give you one. We gave them two, two weeks ago. Told, I told you to put them in your Bibles. And they've been sitting out for a couple weeks. You say, I'm not ready today. Okay, then the next couple weeks, put them in the offering. But if you're ready to fill out a faith promise card, grab your faith promise card. I'll give you a minute to fill them out. There's, some, there's a hand up here. Anybody else need to raise your hand? The ushers will get them to you. And these cards, no one's going to ask you, ever ask you what you did. And we simply use these cards to base what we're going to do for the coming year on what money can we give away. This is completely separate from the operation of our church. Our tithes go to support the church. Our weekly giving goes to support the church. Missions, and you're going to write on your envelope every week after this. 
the one thing, tithe and offering. The other thing you write, missions. All of that money, 100%, goes to missions. So pray with me for a minute. Father, we recognize that for whatever reason, you have us living at this time, in this place, in this location. And Father, we see the reality of our world that in America, for some reason, the gospel is not advancing. The church is shrinking. And that, Lord, thank you, that poor of you, we're growing and we're healthy and we're strong and we're happy, but we're the exception to the rule. God, we believe, though even here, that we're having good things happen, that God, still, we're sitting on a hill over the top of Port Washington, and by far, the vast majority of people in our own community never went to church today. And they haven't been there in years if they've been there at all. And the ones who are the, the youngest ages don't even think about going to church. The ones especially that are sitting in our apartment complexes for the most part. Those are the young ones. Those are the, the ones that are only 4% know you. That's the mission field right here. And God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts that we would not be, this would not be emotional. It would not be Pastor Mark trying to stir something up and only be you, Holy Spirit, and you would tell us by faith what you want us to do. And if you give us the number and it seems big, we will trust you, God. It's a faith promise. If the money doesn't come in, we won't give it. But we're going to trust you, God, to make it work. We're going to trust you. Maybe you're going to want to change some things in our life. We're going to maybe give something up in order to give something more important. Whatever it might be, God, right now, would you just show us what you want us to do for missions for the coming year? Thank you, Lord.